this is Patrick Daly and welcome to Interlinks. Interlinks is a program about international business and globalization and the effects these have had on our life, our work and our travel over recent decades. Today on Interlinks, we're going to be taking a deeper dive into the world of the supply chain with a group of international experts, all colleagues of mine from the Supply Chain Special Interest Group at the Society for the Advancement of Consulting, joining me here in Europe from Australia and from America's West Coast and East Coast. Uh, so today we will be finding out what the current big issues are in supply chain in each of our regions in terms of infrastructure, supply bottlenecks, trade barriers and so on. We will also be talking about, as we are all practicing supply chain consultants, we'll talk a little bit about what kinds of challenges and opportunities our clients are facing in this year of 2021. And we'll explore a little how we are all engaging with our clients in strategy work at a time when things are changing so quickly uh, as they are now. So to discuss all of this, I'm delighted to be joined by Evan Butler, President Evan Bulmer, excuse me, President of Evan Bulmer. Sorry, Evan. Uh, Evan Bulmer and Associates Associates near uh, Adelaide in South Australia. Welcome, Evan. Um, Butler is a very common name in Ireland. You know, that's that's why I'm... <laughs> Lisa Anderson, uh, President of LMA Consulting Group in the metro area of Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. And Art Koch, President of Arthur Koch Management Consulting in the Miami Fort Lauderdale area of Florida. Welcome, Art. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's different for each one of us. Yeah. So um, tell me then, uh, Lisa, what's going on in your neck of the woods in terms of the big uh, supply chain issues currently, you know, related to art, uh, infrastructure, supply bottlenecks, trade barrier, whatever's going on? What's, what's happening there in the West Coast area? Uh, well, all of the above. <laughs> uh, there's definitely uh, lots of uh, supply challenges happening. Uh, the ports are still backed up uh, at LA and Long Beach. And so uh, volume has really taken off. And so uh, that's one of the reasons why the ports are backed up. In addition to the fact that, you know, they got uh, backlogged during the uh, pandemic and they haven't been able to uh, get straightened out yet. Uh, there's just, there's just a, and that, that has of course created problems with that, with the rest of the network. So that's one of, one of the supply chain challenges happening. Uh, e-commerce, uh, rose just exponentially, uh, during the pandemic, which is another reason why, of course, the, the ports are backed up, but it's also a reason why, uh, the supply chain has been evolving because everybody is, um, sending items direct to homes instead of to uh, uh, businesses. And so it's, you know, this definitely changed the transportation uh, infrastructure and, you know, just a world of uh, a world of changes behind that. So I could go on, but. I yeah, I, I guess I guess the mix the mix of products has changed, isn't it? Because the way people are consuming the buying stuff for gardens and for home and, and, and so on. So that must be having an impact on warehouse infrastructure as well, is it? Yeah, I guess, absolutely. Uh, so, well, certainly it's also the peak season was in the middle of this uh, uh, process. So around, uh, you know, in, in December, I had a client that was in the home building, home reconstruction type of business, and they actually were in lawn, lawn and gardening. Mm -hmm. And uh, their business just has been on fire uh, with lots of customers. And, and so they, and e-commerce, you know, has gone through the roof. For them as well so you know really 
they were out of space in their warehouse. They were, you know, receiving all sorts of all sorts of loads for the peak season. Um, since then, their, their business has continued to be high, so they've, um, you know, leveled out a little bit. But uh, generally speaking, it's you know, it's really created uh, challenges in the warehousing side as well because mm -hmm. you know, uh, it depends, of course, on how good of a job these clients have done with their supply chain because a lot of them are coming from Asia. Uh, in that uh, industry and so it just depends uh if they've you know if they they may have had nothing in their warehouse but now they have too much in their warehouse so you know, the warehouses have had the same challenges as everything else it's been really uh volatile yeah and this um this infrastructural issue in the u.s has been there for quite a while and i remember even when uh shortly after president trump was was elected there was talk of a lot of infrastructural investment but it never really happened and um, do you think yeah. it's likely to happen now with the with the latest stimulus it's not going to happen with the latest stimulus but they are talking about passing another huge bill uh to support infrastructure uh it's, I mean, it's Patrick, I feel like saying issues. there was big infrastructure projects. It's just that it was a big wall from in Mexico. I'm not sure how productive it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. actually, that wasn't. I don't, really, I don't think that got finished either. Did it, it? <laughs> no, it didn't get finished, and it really wasn't part of the infrastructure uh, uh, spending or bill. They just didn't. It's a, it's one of the only bipartisan uh, measures that's mm. that's out there, but it's just a matter of you know, getting it uh, passed. That, what happened is it got deterred with COVID. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's likely, though, that they're going to bring it back to the table. Um, well, because it's, there's a, a straight uh, majority in mm -hmm. the Congress right now and in the, in, in the Senate, it's, you know, it's likely to pass. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Evan, what's going on in uh, the Pacific Rim? We're having um, a lot of fun down here, really. Like we've been talking about, the demand for product has gone through the roof. You know, for I think cars, you know, right now no one's travelling, so they're buying cars. Uh, at the same time, or we don't make our own cars here, um, all the manufacturers around the world stopped, didn't they? Yeah, so why are people, um, buying, why are people buying cars if they're not travelling? You mean they're not flying? Is that what you mean? I don't know the correlation between travel and buying cars, but the services are down. You can't travel. Can't go out to restaurants as much. So, you know, um, there's money. It's got to go somewhere. People yeah. start buying cars and caravans and, you know, um, these kinds of things. So it's just created an interesting, you know, heightened demand, lessened supply. Um, you know, there's some real profit-taking going on out there in the marketplace. So what I'm observing is, you know, a real um, have and have-nots in the economy, there are businesses right now that are very, very cashed up that have done tremendously well. Some of them have to even give back the incentives that were handed out pre-COVID because they've had such a great year. Mm. Um, mm. But equally, you've got you know industries that are dying, and you know still a lot of people out of work in those industries. So yeah. there's a real you know. Um, yeah. That's an that's an interesting one, uh, Art. Perhaps um, inflationary pressures coming through. Are you seeing any evidence of that? Uh, we will. We're not seeing it yet, but we will. Uh, petroleum here in the States is gasoline is going up and we will continue to see it forced down through to the supply base. The cost of freight, air freight, and just get it, filling a container has went up uh, tenfold in many cases and typically threefold. Mm -hmm. So you're, that's going to be pushed down. Uh, 
I, I've t- been working with my clients and I tell them a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. And one of the things they have to double down on improvements right now and come out swinging with cost reductions, lead time reductions, look at the total cost of ownership. And if they do that, they can come out ahead of inflation and beat their competition. But we do have a f- uh, inflation staring us right in the face. Yeah. And then other major issues going on in your part of the world, in the, in the East Coast, uh, are the ports an issue on the East Coast as well? No, not like you have on the West Coast and in Europe. My clients are on the West Coast of the United States and in the UK. So we have the same issues with the ports in the UK and back to Long Beach. Uh, Also in the UK, you have Brexit going on. So fighting with all the tariffs. So I have clients that have stuff that have been sitting in, uh, I think it's Rottingham for three months. Mm -hmm. They can't get it out. Yeah. So they're fighting with wow. they're fighting with their forecast, trying to pull things ahead on their forecast to where they can plan for that. Then you throw in this the sw- I call it the swim lanes in supply chain. Uh, the best one to describe. Well, you're talking about uh, home improvements right now in our area. We live on the ocean, and there's jet skis everywhere. People have bought these personal watercraft like there's no tomorrow, and small boats. And what's going to happen is what's going to flip up. Well, and one of my clients was fighting that because they had, they supply fasteners and they couldn't supply fasteners fast enough to their, uh, the manufacturers of this. And what's going to happen is when they quit buying personal watercrafts, where's that demand going to go? And everybody's trying to second guess that. Mm -hmm. So you have this different swim lane within the supply chain that you have to try to second guess and plan against. Yeah, in this in this part of Europe, a uh, few of the things that are going on. I suppose the two big things are Brexit on the one hand, uh, and the effects, the real effects of Brexit and and the vaccine. So first, yeah. uh, Brexit. So the official figures for UK exports to the European Union, which is the UK's largest trading partner, the confirmed figures for January came out, and and granted. There's a stockpiling effect in there and there's a COVID effect in there. But the UK's exports to the European Union, its largest trading partner, dropped by 41% in January in comparison to January the previous year. And uh, the UK's largest trading partners in uh, the EU, uh, in order of importance, are Germany, France, Netherlands and Ireland, where I am. And here in Ireland, our imports from the United Kingdom dropped 65% in January compared to January last year. And the issue seems to be to do with inspections, particularly for food products or live animals and and stuff like that. So we're seeing supply chains literally reconfigure before our eyes. So whereas companies would, would import food products, we'd have lots of British brands here in their shops. We're seeing them now being replaced by brands from continental Europe. And then on the export side, whereas... Our port that exports on, uh, on by ferry, you know, roll on, roll off ferries, yep. um, those links to the continent, direct links without passing through the UK, which used to be the conventional way to go to the continent or back with imports and exports. Those direct links, there used to be six from our main port up until December, and there are now 32, and it's only March. So the, the, wow. the, the supply chain is literally reconfiguring uh, before our eyes. And then I guess the whole vaccines thing, which is unfortunate, you got this kind of nonsense going on at the political level with threats 
back and forth and um, and sniping going on. Whereas we were just chatting offline, we're looking at the way uh, vaccine supply chains are set up. So you have a, a process where they develop a drug substance in one plant and then they send it to another plant for batching. And then those batches are sent to another plant for filling. And then they're sent to another plant for packing and labeling. And then they go to distribution. And all of those activities could be happening in five different countries. So if one country starts putting export bans on finished product, another country could start putting export bans on uh, drug substance or on bottles or on caps or whatever. And it could be a complete mess. But when you kind of when you zone out and you look at the big picture, it's really a, it's really an inspiring story. If if you look at, I recommend to uh, to listeners to go to uh, fiercepharma.com and look at a special issue there that they have a report, and it talks about how all these pharma companies are collaborating in networks. And we just hear the two or three big names, but there are dozens of companies collaborating. Uh, all around the world, in India, in Europe, uh, in Asia, in North America, even in in Latin America, Mexico, and so on. And it's really impressive. So I'm kind of hopeful, uh, notwithstanding the mess that we're in now, that in maybe four months' time, six months' time, it's going to be a very, very different story. So um, (laughs) that was my my speech. So uh, let's see, next topic. So uh, we're all supply chain consultants practicing. So what kind of things are your clients talking to you about now in terms of challenges and opportunities that they're seeing? Art, what's it looking like in your part of the world? Their biggest challenge is dealing with raw material shortages, that uh, getting stuff through customs or imported, and these wild changes in demand, okay? You know, we talked about the swim lanes. They're fighting that because it's flipping from, you can go from one week to the next, which parts mm-hmm. people are looking for. And especially here in the States, we're getting more and more people vaccinated. So people are starting to move around more. And when they're able to move around more, they're looking for different things. Uh, more restaurants are opening up. Uh, people are changing from doing projects at home and remodeling their houses and kitchens uh, to looking for different kinds of clothes. Before everybody was worried about looking good from like here down to their shirt. Now they're looking at getting uh, different pants, dresses. I'm, I'm actually wearing. I'm wearing a tutu. Yeah, that's good. That's good. That's <laughs> something. That's that's something I cannot unsee. So don't stand up. <laughs> but no, that's that's what my clients are fighting with, and how to plan for how to plan ahead on that, and how to get their arms around it. So I can go into that, but ask somebody else a question. So I mean, then so forecasting and SNOP, all of this. Stuff is kind of out the window at the moment, right? Right, right. And what I'm working with them on is how to reduce their dependency on forecasting. I've been saying this for years. In the lessons that we're learning within the COVID pandemic are the lessons that we should have implemented many years ago. And it's focusing on the fundamentals. Decrease your dependency on forecasting. Decrease lead times. Increase data integrity. Uh, have tremendous partnerships with collaboration. Uh, communication and have professionals that can manage you through crises. Mm-hmm. Okay, Evan, you're part of the world. What are your clients, uh, what challenges, what opportunities are they looking at or coming to you with? I'm just listening to art, you know, I, I think um, there's some similarities here in Australia as well, you know, um, except we don't have a vaccine rollout yet. So we're still fixing up our houses, not worrying about what we look like from the neck down. Um <laughs> 
So, you know, Evan, you can be a genius. Watch what people buy here yeah. as we come out of it and predict all that for your clients and get them lined up. So it, it's going to be the same, well, people yeah. to people. And to your point, point Art, you know, I often say to my clients, look, don't forecast revenue, you know, forecast the activities that lead to revenue. So go talk to your customers, you know, find out what they're doing, have a look at the buying patterns that you've seen observed in them before, and you'll make, um, you know, you'll, you'll have a much better understanding of what's going to happen to your business going forward. And I don't think that's, you know, that's true right now. Um, most of the businesses I'm talking to get close to your customers so you've got an understanding of how it's going to shift. Lisa, what kind of uh, opportunities are your clients coming to you with? Well, they're having some of the same challenges that are talked about. So we, we definitely have volatility and demand. And so they're very interested in uh, PSYOP, sales inventory operations planning, because they're seeing that if they can get a better handle on Better handle on demand, like Art said, you don't necessarily have to uh, be a wizard with traditional forecasting. What you need to do is get in, on top of changing customer conditions, in case changing customer demand patterns. Uh, you know, th- so there's there's a lot of interest there. They're interested in scaling up because they're seeing that their volume is going up, and so they're looking how do I scale up quickly so I can take advantage of opportunities. Uh, and be successful. And then the other issue that they're handling right now is, is that e-commerce has, you know, also has gone up tremendously. Now that's not something that's going to go backwards. Um, and so it, it looks like uh, between e-commerce increasing volatility and demand and technology has been really increasing too. I mean, there's no way to even find a good technology resource uh, these days to implement a new ERP system or to implement B2B software, B2C, I mean, all sorts of technology changes have been happening. What they expected to happen in this area anyway, by 2035 in terms of technological advancement is happening now. And so it's it's having a um, dramatic effect and, uh, you know, it's really going to create some issues. They were worried about the reskilling of people and how to, uh, keep up with the changing circumstances. And so now it's all going going at uh, warp speed. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. The people who can move quickly and, um, you know, reconfigure their people and processes and systems at the pace of change that's happening will be successful. Yeah, okay. Well, in response to all of those things, what I'm seeing is a kind of a generic challenge that companies are facing. They seem to have a lot of difficulty taking decisions and selecting among alternative courses of of action. And some of them are falling into the trap of kind of over-analysis and paralysis by by analysis. And uh, I guess, you know, we've we've learned that decision-making, while it's it's challenging to do, it's pretty simple in its structure in the sense that, you, you know, you define your objectives. Each objective maybe has several alternatives, and then you look at the uh, the upside benefits and the downside risks and you start to make choices and then you move forward into critical issues and implementation planning and so on are you are you coming across difficulties uh, with clients actually making decisions and if you Evan are you seeing that I think um, the speed with which decisions need to be made is catching those kinds of businesses out um, because when you've got the volatility of demand that you're seeing, the volatility of supply, particularly into Australia, you know, we're seeing, you know, 
it, you know, governments like China can just stop exports of our product and what have you. So you've got all of these things going on and speed of decision-making and being able to manoeuvre quickly is seeing companies succeed, in my view. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess um, th- th- this is part of the topic I, m- I mentioned earlier where h- how do you do strategy or how do you take decisions that have strategic impl- uh, implications when the environment is changing so rapidly and so unpredictably. Um, what's, your, what's your take on that, Art? You know, one of the things that I have seen, I have a client that has a lot of engineered product going into its customers. And to move apart from one supplier to the next traditionally took them 18 months. And we would say, you know, you're straddled with, you know, analysis paralysis, like you were saying. Mm. COVID hit. And we were moving parts in underneath uh, 10 business days and PPAP parts. And we use this as an example. See, look what you can do if you put your mind to it. So, you know, they felt that it had to take this long because that, you know, the 18 months is because that's what they come accustomed to. And when the crisis hit and they had to move parts and get them approved, boy, could they do it. So we want to carry those lessons forward when the pandemic dies down and uh, business becomes more normal to say, let's be able to turn on a dime. And they've bought major pieces of equipment and they've even bought a couple suppliers in the meantime, something that would have taken them years. They were able to buy some suppliers and integrate them into their business in weeks and months. So I see positive from that end because I tell you, when you're staring down the barrel of going uh, bankrupt or not being able to supply a tier one automotive supplier and you're going to get a huge fine, you will move fast if you have to. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, Lisa, are you seeing any challenges there in decision-making or actually doing strategy in a time when things change from one day to the next so quickly? Well, I mean, I'm certainly seeing that Strategy is no longer this topic that, you know, they do once a year and look out in the future. I mean, there's got to be, you know, it's more of a strategic sprint. Um, And and like uh, both Art and Evan were saying, you know, people are, it's really, they're having more trouble making, uh, keeping up with the pace, the pace of change and the pace of the decisions. You know, I think it depends on who my clients are at the time as to whether or not they have more trouble or not making decisions. But the the people who are succeeding are taking, you know, taking an 80-20 approach, getting the key facts and and moving forward. And uh, I'm seeing that most most clients are are taking that approach. I'm not seeing them get uh, stuck in making decisions. On the other hand, I have had some clients, potential clients, uh, that are looking at proposals they really need to do and um, not figuring out whether what they want to do about it. So I guess you could say they are in analysis paralysis. Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen some of that as well. And uh, strategy is almost like the um, the horizon has come right forward. It's almost in yeah. our faces, and therefore we have to have this kind of evolving narrative about what the strategic future is and we keep having to update it all the time so we're almost working on on hypothesis let's try this does it work no let's try something else um so it's a it's a quite a different uh, approach to strategy it's almost a, it's almost a living strategy isn't it an unfolding strategy all the time and you have to be ready to change tack at a at a, at a day's notice sometimes um yes, I, I, you know, patrick you need speed of information from um, 
the marketplace to um, the decision-making uh, positions as fast as you can get it. And yeah, I think yeah, the organisers yeah. that are well set up for that can yeah. make these, um, you know, can make a decision, um, get new information and then make a new decision quickly. Yeah, and I guess the, the, the thing is, the challenge is lots of organisations are all focused inwards on what they do, what we do, and they're not so much plugged into, as much as you would think, plugged into what's going on um, out around them. In, in mm. Interesting project I'm involved in at the moment, a company in, in pharma, they were hit with a big increase in demand in 2020 as a, a, a knock-on from, from COVID, and they're now planning uh, expansion of warehousing capacity for the future and one of the things they want built in is a capacity to be able to turn on maybe something like 30 to 50 percent extra capacity in the future plan so it may mean either uh, going for planning permission for that expansion even though they're not going to build it or it may mean building it and putting it in mothballs to have it there uh, should something happen in the future whether it's another pandemic or whether it's some sort of supply chain interruption like a, a natural disaster or whatever it might be. So the thinking has changed quite radically in relation to what companies are prepared to do and what they see themselves capable of doing, which I think was the point you were making, Art, earlier about changing parts so quickly. Right. One of the things I do see kind of backing up a couple of minutes is a lot of the, basically all the leaders, they're fatigued. Because change is coming at them so fast, mm. they're mentally exhausted and they don't have a chance to take a break. Even on the weekends, they can't get away on the weekends. And this has been going on for a year now. Well, not necessarily a year because we had the first six months where everybody was canceling orders and pushing orders out, except for the e-commerce people where things were taken off. But there was that lull of anywhere between three or six months. Then Katie barred the door and all took off. And since that time, people, they're exhausted. Yeah, kind of punch. Well, I'm fine. Oh, sorry, Patrick. Sorry, Lisa. Go ahead. I was just going to agree with Art. Although in my in my case, several of the clients that I was working with, even though their volume dropped off, well, it was really quite volatile during those six months. Right. But it, they were working just as hard, not because they had their plants running at full capacity, but because they were trying to keep up with these changing volumes, even if it was reduced. Should right. I get rid of? You know, should I? Reduce, obviously reduce all your temps, but then should, what should I do beyond that? And it's never yeah. as simple as all that. So I'm also finding though that people found during this period of time that they wanted to I don't know, focus on what they, what really made them happy. And they wanted to retire early and travel and, you know, or they wanted to be prepared to travel. Actually, that's what one, one person told me. So uh, they're dropping off like flies. Um, and so uh, the people who are left are like, really under yeah. underwater yeah. trying to keep up with everything going on. Well, and that's a good point because people, consultants, people that are like us, there's quite a few people that are among our peer group that have left that are just a few years older than us that said, you know, I think I can retire now. Mm. Yep. And it's putting pressure. My business is through the roof. I'm getting phone calls constantly. Can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? And it's, I don't have much hair to pull out. To, <laughs> <you know. laughs> but I would agree with you. Put your, put your fees up, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and then the same thing at businesses. I know a lot of people that were managers, senior level managers that just said, they reassessed and they say, you know, I have enough to retire and it's, and it's time for me to just take a break and 
be with my family and my grandkids or my kids. Yep. Yeah. And that's putting a, tr- it's a lot of, it's a lot of, what do you want to say? Gray matter that has left the workplace yep. and mm-hmm. a lot of what I call the storytellers, people that can dig back 30 years and talk about why a decision was made. And that's important when you're making change today. Yeah, that's, yep. that's, that's an interesting uh, perspective. Well, guys, Time flies, as we know, and again, we've been beaten by the clock. You know, we could we could go on, uh, but it's been a pleasure talking to you all again today. So many thanks for being here with us. And uh, thanks also to all our listeners. And remember that if you'd like to know more about how I can help you to formulate and implement international business strategies that deliver, check out my blog on albalogistics.com and my book, International Supply Chain Relationships, which you can pick up on Amazon, Google Books or Apple Books. So thank you for listening and stay safe until next time.